Bullshit. The No BS Marketing Show is brought to you by Laramore's Men's and Women's Designer Clothing. Free shipping, free returns. Shop men's and women's designer clothing, shoes, accessories, jewelry, and more online at laramores.com or in-store downtown Pittsburgh. It's the No BS Marketing Show. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Brad Berger. But first, let's cut the BS. Talking to a guy today about some remodeling that we might do as we expand our offices here at Mass Solutions. And he said to me, you guys are a marketing firm. I said, yes. And he goes, well, I wish I had talked to you yesterday. I just hired a digital marketing firm. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, yeah, for $999, they're going to do all of our online Google AdWords stuff. And I couldn't figure out how it would work because I said to him, well, what if 700 people click through and, and, and do the Google AdWords? And the guy said, it'll still be $999. And it's got me to thinking that uh, on the one hand, I wanted to say that that firm does a nice job of positioning because this small business doesn't have much to spend and might be a good fit. But on the other hand, it made me think about how over the years, marketing firms and marketers have added phrases and so forth that really they think are helping the cause but might be hurting it. And I often say that digital marketing is the artist formerly known as marketing communications. And the reason that I say that in poking fun at the old Prince being the artist formerly known as Prince is that there's this battle for 50 years where marketing was being tried to call itself marketing and then sales would call themselves marketing or sales and marketing. There's all kinds of psychoses that are going on here. And one is that people in sales often don't want to just say they're in sales. It's a noble profession to say I'm in sales. I'm a salesperson. There's nothing wrong with that, but had to come up with the term account executive and call themselves sales and marketing. That's a whole long-term rant that I typically go on. But what it led to was marketing wanted to make sure people knew that they weren't sales because the psychoses and issues there is the marketers didn't want to be associated with sales, which is crazy because marketing, sales, sales, marketing have to work together. They're two separate yet equally important groups. So then marketing would come up with terms like marketing communications, which is a late 90s term that lasted a little while, lasted till the, oh, about 2010 or 11 or 12. And now you start hearing digital marketing. But the reality is it's marketing. And marketing is about clearly defining your target audiences, then finding out what they want by actually talking to them and listening. And once you find out what they want, you have to give it to them. If you don't already have it, you have to tweak what you have so you can give it to them when and where they want it at a price they're willing to pay. And then you can tell them about it again and again and again. But the telling about it like this, oh, well, for $9.99, we'll do all your Google AdWords and stuff. That's the telling them about it. But the front end hard work is what real marketing is. So whether you want to put the word digital in front of it, whether you want to put the word communications after it, I don't think you need to, and I think you confuse and mess up the cause, but it's marketing. And that definition is what the key is. So I would ask that everybody call themselves what they are. If you're in sales, you're in sales. If you're in marketing, you're in marketing. Let's do that and cut the bullshit. Our guest today is Bradley Berger. For the past 20 years, he's been with Goodwill Industries in several senior positions across the United States, returning in 2015 to his Pittsburgh roots as the president and CEO of Goodwill of the Southern Alleghenies. Brad, welcome to the show. Well, thanks very much. Great to be here today. I noticed you nodding a number of times during the rant. I like that. Absolutely. So you've encountered some people that don't want to say what they are. Absolutely. 
and knowing when you're out of your skis too. Uh huh. Yeah. To bring in help. Exactly. Yeah, so. Exactly. Well, you've uh, you have been great. You you complimented us, and you said you've listened to some of the shows and and followed the the No BS Marketing Show and and uh, seen the column light reading over the years. So I appreciate that, and it's been good to get to know you talking about those things. Now I want to hear about you. And the first question I always ask, I always say it's the best question you ever have when you're on a radio show. And it's tell us about your career path, your journey, because I find it so interesting how different leaders have similar similarities, but their own unique twist. Yeah. So um, I started out uh, probably, uh, you know, it's unique in that I, I started out to, to become a biology teacher and uh, ended up at Goodwill and um that's sort of the running joke with my colleagues at Goodwill every time we're dealing with a problem is he just wanted to teach kids how to dissect earthworms. <laughs> and so, and so, yeah, I, I started my schooling um, uh, in secondary uh, ed and bio um, at Penn State, uh, went there for a while, uh, left school for a while, and then uh, went back and, um, and ended up finishing my, my bachelor's at, at Cal U. Um, and then, when I finished there, uh, the the job market in the mid '90s was was kind of tight, and so um, I actually ended up in sales. And uh, that year I spent in sales was extraordinarily helpful for me. And uh, so I started selling typewriters in the mid '90s. You want to talk about a tough, tough uh, job? Wow! And uh, and then what happened was that I ended up getting transferred to the really the most technical division of the company, which is uh, selling digital duplicators, high-speed digital duplicators. And so I went very much into consultative sales. Um, and uh, that really taught me a lot um, about working. My, my vertical market was uh, churches and nonprofits. So um, did a lot of work with, with both of those uh, markets and, um, and, and did well. And was enjoying that, but still wanted to get back into the classroom and really what I was focused on. And an opportunity came up here at our local Goodwill um, for a computer instructor. Um, and so I, I applied and I, and I got it. And um, shortly thereafter, uh, our Goodwill here, it was Goodwill Industries of Pittsburgh at the time, was interested in starting a private career school. And I was teaching in the evening at a private career school, anatomy and physiology. And um, they were gonna bring in an outside consultant to, to do that. And I said, well, why would you do that? I can help you do that. And so I spent three months working through the licensor and, and that process. And that was really what got me into management at Goodwill. And so I worked with administration and they felt so strongly about the work that I did with that and getting the school license that they made me first acting director and then I became director of the school. So um, from then I've really had a number of um, progressively um, more responsibility um, and at the same time, I went back and went to grad school at Penn State, got a, a master's in adult ed. And um, the longest job that I've ever hel held at Goodwill was um, assistant vice president for human services. That was for seven years. I've been with Goodwill now almost 23 years. Moved to be vice president of human services, then vice president of retail, which was a big jump. And I did that in about a three-hour period. Um, 
inside our agency. It was a yeah, it was a big change, and so I switched. Well, talk about that. Yeah, I switched jobs in in about a three hour period. So um, I was asked by our CEO um, at the time, "Would you be?" Retail was kind of struggling, having difficulties. I was working with some process improvement with them, some Kaizen, lean manufacturing types of techniques. And um, and my CEO came to me and said, hey, I really need you, or would you be willing to, to step up and, and take this on? And he goes, I know it's a major departure from what you're doing right now. And I said, well, yeah, I, I would be interested. And I said, when would you want me to start? And he said, about three hours from now. So um, I literally changed jobs overnight. And we, we worked very hard. I had some, some great staff, and we, we made a number of changes. We were, were able to make um, a lot of impact in a short amount of time uh, with process improvement. And so I did that for about 18 months, and then, um, and then the position came open in Kansas City for CEO. And I had started executive development with Goodwill Industries International. And uh, so while I was still in executive development, I tell everybody, they said, did you finish? I said, no, I'm a dropout actually of executive development because I got hired uh, while while I was in executive development. And I had every intention of going back, but I realized they really didn't even want me back at that point. So, um, So I was the exec there for four years, took my my wife and my two teenage boys, which, you know, that's how popular I was taking, you know, a ninth and 10th grader across the country on short notice. And so, and, uh, so we stayed there four years. My youngest son finished high school. I could feel the pull to come back and uh, get back into the local area. So worked out. I came back, was helping out with retail here, um, for a little while in Pittsburgh for about 15 months. And, uh, and the position, the CEO position came open in, in Johnstown. And so that's the Southern Alleghenies region, about six and a half counties up up in the mountains. And I love the mountains. And so I, I put in for it, applied, and um, I was chosen. And, and I've been very happy. I've been there about uh, almost two and a half years now. And uh, it, it really fits me well. Um, I feel that I'm, I'm at home. Um, and uh, my family feels that way too. And so it worked out very well. But it's been quite a certain serotypous uh, journey uh, through, you know, to get where I am now. Pretty amazing. So there's a bunch of things I want to ask about. One is 23 years of goodwill, and you actually have a huge difference in your shortest and longest tenure in position. So one position was only three hours. Yeah. And one position was seven years. No, I switched positions in a three-hour period. But yeah, it really changed that fast. And uh, but yeah, I was seven years with with as assistant VP, and and um, that was really good for me. I worked with a vice president at the time, who really served as a mentor for me and um, taught me a lot during that seven years. Talk about that because this show is predominantly about leadership and communication. I, I always ask that question: Who are a couple of mentors or one mentor? What did they do that made them such a good mentor, and how did it impact you? Yeah, I. Um, when I had that VP, um, I think it was two things that really made it work well. Um, she um, she was a very good mentor. She had um, great leadership skills um, and that um, she was very passionate about what she did, very hardworking. And also, um, when she hired me, she said, you know, I, 
I was told once that you hired your weakness. And so, and she said, that's why I'm hiring you. And so, because I did a lot of the analytical uh, process improvement types of work where she did a lot of the strategic leadership and um, that worked very well for us. We were well suited with each other for each other. And we, when we sat in a meeting, I've he- I heard people say afterward, you guys are pretty powerful together because we complemented each other. But what it also gave me was an opportunity to work more on my more strategic thinking um, and to l- look at the bigger picture and be able to work through that. So she really fostered that in me during the seven years that I worked for her at Goodwill. Any other mentors you want to mention? Yeah, I I think um, our first CEO that we had when I came there, Bob Fultz, he was there for 26 years. Um, he's a Hall of Fame CEO uh, within Goodwill. And I one of the things that I did learn from him that I use today is it seemed like about once every three to six months, he would always have these three things he talked about. And what he what they were were the priorities. Uh-huh. They were kind of his priorities of where he wanted us to move to. And he sounded I was when I was with him in different meetings, um, he sounded like a broken record to me because I would hear it so many times. But I realized what he was really doing was continuing to frame the priorities for the organization while working with different stakeholders groups. And so he could be working with a group of frontline employees all the way to foundations. And he, he had those talking points that he would massage, but those really were, were the priorities of the organization. I really always try to do that too. When I go into a group is what are the priorities so that everybody understands which direction the organization is going and how they, what they do aligns to that. Great advice from Bradley Berger's mentor, Bob Fultz, who was a Hall of Fame CEO for Goodwill's Hall of Fame. 26 years. Check out this quote from Esquire Magazine, one of the country's leading specialty stores for selection and service. Don't leave Pittsburgh without your little black bag filled with beautiful fashions from the city's premier family-owned clothier for men and women. Experience the highest quality designer and private label collections, impeccable customer service, and custom tailoring that have been Laramore's hallmark for more than 75 years. Now that's an endorsement. Shop online at laramores.com or in-store downtown Pittsburgh. It's the No BS Marketing Show. Dave Mastovich here with Bradley Berger, the CEO of Goodwill of the Southern Alleghenies. And I have to ask a follow-up question. So you had um, the move to Kansas City. And if I'm understanding you correctly, you had a ninth and a 10th grader that you moved to Kansas City. So both of them graduated from high school in Kansas City. they did. How long until they weren't uh, angry with you? Yeah, that's a great question uh, because uh, the, it has two different answers. The, the older one uh, adapted kind of quickly to it, um, and my ninth grader took a little bit longer. And uh, what was even more difficult is they start school earlier out there. So when they came in, they were actually had already started, and they made them make up all the work from day one. So they had a difficult start, and um, but as difficult as it was at the time, and um, especially for my younger one, um, my younger one was uh, who's now at I IUP. 
uh, was just out in Kansas City, flew out to see his friends out there, um, has very good friends he has there, and my older one does too. And they're able to look at it in context now and say, you know what, that was a great experience for us because it, it broadened the, the, the whole scope of people that we work with and interact with and, and all those types of things. And so uh, in, in the moment, it was, it was difficult, but I think in, in pers- you know, looking back in pr- retrospect, it's you know, a good thing for them. So you came back to Pittsburgh for 15 months, and how long have you been in the Southern Allegheny's position? About two and a half years. Okay, so you've been back almost four years. Yeah. Okay, okay. So now I have to segue, because we are talking about the uh, No BS Marketing yeah. Show, I have to ask you that tough question about when you were a BSer, when maybe you were the tough boss or the difficult employer, maybe your communication wasn't where it needed to be. Give us an example of when you were the BSer, what you did to fix it, and how it might help our listeners. Yeah, I, I think that... Um, there was a point in my career where the most important thing was is getting the job done and uh, getting it done as quickly and as efficiently as possible and not being as sensitive enough to what are the cultural elements behind this, um, how do people interpret this change. And because of that, um, I think I'm a more astute leader now that I'm able to look through the multiple lenses of saying, well, th- what are the structural elements to this? What are the, what are the cultural elements to it? What are the, you know, social political elements of, of any change that we put in effect? And so that we want to really think about our messaging, um, as part of the change that we're going to put in, in, in effect, if you're going to implement a new piece of technology within the organization, a new HR platform or something like that, it's not just getting the nuts and bolts of the technology rolled out. It's how are people going to perceive this? How's it going to impact them? All these sort, sorts of things. I can give you a great example that just came up recently. So we're trying to get more and more people to take part in direct deposit. And so because we're going to a new human capital management system. So you know, I've been on direct deposit for a couple decades. Uh, so one of the people that we're trying to, to get onto direct deposit sends me an email and said, oh, I need to be able to show someone a copy of my check. How will I get that if I go on direct deposit? Because they didn't realize that you actually get a copy of your check. So that's something there where, where you know, you may take it for granted to say, oh, there's a copy of a check. But if you've never used that, you just don't know it. And so that's why we always have to think through from the person's perspective of what they're going through and be able to empathize and sympathize from their position uh, whenever we roll out organizational change. So there was a time when maybe you were a little more direct or blunt, or maybe you expected and assumed someone understood things, and now you realize the, the communication has to be much more intensive uh, through multiple channels. Absolutely. I mean, I... I, I I, I've had a talking to at least a couple times in my career by my, my one mentor that, that said, you, you, d- you don't have to be that doggone direct, you know, and they understand, we understand you, you're going to get the job done, but you, you just don't have to go about it just that way. So great advice. Yeah. Great advice for our listeners. Now, what I want to do is spend some time on having you tell the Goodwill story 
because there are some people that, when you and I first met, I was saying how there are some people that don't really know much about the Goodwill story. There are some that think it's one thing. And then there's some that have read some negative clippings yes. over the past seven, eight years. So let's just take, first of all, the part that explains what you do, the multifaceted part of it, so people know it's beyond the one thing that most people know. And then we'll go into that tough, tough to talk about what, you know, the true story of what is going on at Goodwill so that people can hear the whole thing. Absolutely. You you have to understand Goodwill. You have to go back to the beginning of Goodwill. And, and Goodwill started in Boston uh, in 1902 by a Methodist minister named Dr. Edgar Helms. And what he did was is that the traditional way of helping people, he was working in what was known as Morgan Memorial Chapel, working with immigrant populations, English not their first language, limited English in high poverty situations. So the traditional way of helping people back then was you give them things. And so he tried that at first. What he did is he went out to the more fluent areas of Boston, um, got um, clothing and other items from asked from them, not money, and brought them to the basement of Morgan Memorial Chapel, laid them out, and opened the door, and the local residents came in, and within minutes, the, the place was cleaned out. And he really thought to himself, well, did I really help these folks? I'm really not sure about that. So then he, he came up with the idea of, why don't we collect these household items and clothing, repair them, and employ the people that are repairing them in the process, helping teach them work skills and how important that is, and, um, and, and provide them a wage at the time that, that they're transitioning. Right on the heels of that then came World War I. And so that was really the first large wave of people with disabilities that Goodwill started working with were the returning veterans. And so where Goodwill is, 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 I think, unique in, uh, in our founding is one of the, the mottos that Edgar Helms laid out was not charity, but a chance. And so it wasn't about a hand out. It was about a hand up. And so based it all, there are 160 Goodwills across the United States and, and, and many more internationally. Uh, what's common with them is work. Work is central to everything that we do, and that's helping people either access work, prepare for work. So it's it's gain, retain, and advance in work. And so that's really what we're all about at Goodwill. So it has taken different courses through the years. Um, after World War II, it was focused more, uh, or during World War II, it was focused more on salvage. After World War II, there started to be government contracts that Goodwill started to do. So within most Goodwills, what you will see is you will see a retail division that most people are familiar with. You will see a, a human service or mission division that provides the direct employment services. And then you'll see a division known as contracts or commercial services, which usually does either um, private or governmental uh, contracts to provide um, different types of manufacturing assembly, you know, those types of things. And then an administration unit that, that oversees all that. So that's a common aspect of it. But Goodwill's, the foundation of all Goodwill activity is work. And so when people say, well, what do you do every day? What my job is, is to look at how do we get people to access work, retain in work, and then advance in work through upskilling or whatever they're going to do. So the big idea 
We talk a lot about the big idea here, your customer's why and your why, your reason for being and your customer's why, their reason for buying. Your big idea is around a central theme of work. And I think that that's why you and I have had the chance to talk is because there's some help needed to make sure that that story gets told, that that big idea gets conveyed because it is a bit of a complex message. So let's take each of those three and let you drill down a little bit about the message under each of those three that ties under the umbrella of it's all around the central theme of work. Yeah. So our retail division, which we're most known for, um, is a, is a great invention of Edgar Helms. Um, if you go down to DC, um, you'll go on Avenue D, there's these large bronze medallions on there of people that made major changes to the way the world is viewed. And, and Edgar Helms' social enterprise model of taking donated items and then going through the process of working to get them out on the floor um, and then reselling them and using that Revenue that comes to what we call mission margin to put back into mission services is fundamental to what we do, and it's a it's a triple win, um, you know, in that that people win for being part of that, okay, um, and that that provides job and work experience and and all different types of things that help you gain pride in what you do. It's a win for the organization because it allows us to bring revenue in that isn't tied to a government focus and that we're able to then to leverage that funding for gaps that exist within government funding that we receive. So we're able to take that revenue and use it how organizationally the board and the leadership feels it can best fill those gaps for whatever the local community need is. But it, generally, it's, again, tied to some type of work service program. The third win in it is the planet from a sustainability standpoint. We are able to redirect 85% of what we, what we receive in away from landfills. So that's huge. And so we work every day in our strategic goal. Not that we'll, it, it's out there. We don't know if we'll be able to do it. But our goal is to, to hopefully someday become a zero waste organization by finding recycling lines for all the different things that we get get in that we're not able um, to to use directly. And so we, we really look at that and look at how we can um, better better use everything that we get in. So go ahead. No, that's okay. Okay. That that so let what we'll do was uh, we're gonna break down each of the three components and talk about target markets and how a listener might benefit from any of those three when we get into episode two. So hear more of my interview with Bradley Berger on part two of the No BS Marketing Show. Thanks for joining us for the No BS Marketing Show, brought to you by Laramore's Men's and Women's Designer Clothing. Free shipping, free returns. Shop men's and women's designer clothing, shoes, accessories, jewelry, and more online at laramores.com or in-store downtown Pittsburgh. Visit MassSolutions.biz for show notes, plus additional marketing and messaging resources like our No BS Marketing Weekly Update. Sign up and receive timely, valuable ideas to improve your marketing and transform your message. Again, visit MassSolutions.biz. Remember, ask yourself, what's the big idea? And build your story around the answer. It's all about bold solutions, no BS.